Welcome back to DIY Real Estate, brought to you by your favorite two average guys, Aaron Jaffe and Curtis Lochner, here to help you through your real estate journey. Let's get right to it. All right, so today we have Austin Haynes, who recently just got his BSN from Drexel University. Congrats on that, by the way. Thank you. I just want to start off with kind of introducing yourself, um, what your goals are, how you kind of got into not only interested in real estate, but also in investing in general. So as Chris just said, well, thank you for having me on. I'm excited to be here tonight. But um, Thanks for coming. So as Curtis said, I graduated recently from Drexel with my BSN, and I'm currently working in the hospital and uh, just... I'm a nurse currently, and then I graduated from University of Delaware in 2015 and played lacrosse there as well. But I got, mainly got interested in real estate at a young age because my parents own a couple of rental properties. And I've always been going to the rental properties with them and helping my dad put tile down, helping my dad paint, put granite down, seeing the ins and outs of actually having uh, renters and people running out your property. And I've always been interested, but I never truly understood the financial aspect of it and how you could achieve financial freedom through it until I was older and more mature. So once I began to really delve into that whole process, I started to realize that I can be achieve financial freedom from this. And I don't have to be tied to a nine to five job because realistically, if you have a nine to five, you're one step away from poverty. And I think COVID kind of proved that. So um, that's something I definitely want to get into. And my short term goals are to house hack for my first three or four properties and to live for free and be able to build wealth and generate income from that as well. So I can save my uh, monthly rent to be able to get a property and then eventually get between 20 to 30 properties and pay them off and then be able to have a sustainable passive income from that to really be able to help myself and my family achieve financial freedom. So I can, if I want to work, I can work. If I don't, I want to go to the beach. I can hang on the beach or do whatever I really want to, but I have to work for the first 20, 30 years to be able to achieve that. But that's definitely one of my long-term goals. Okay. Awesome. And aside from real estate, are you in any other investments right now? Currently um, stocks or in accounts, so forth. Yeah. I currently just opened up my Roth IRA. Thanks to Curtis here. Curtis is the one who got me into investing sure. <laughs> time. So thank you, my man, for that. You actually helped me out a lot. And then I'm fortunate enough to uh, start talking about that to my friends from home, my family. I've even got some of my family members involved the Roth IRAs and taxable brokerage accounts. Same with my friends from home. I help them open up some of the Roth IRAs. So definitely touching a lot of lives with that. But uh, I'm, I'm involved with that. And I think that's something important that to start saving as soon as you can for your retirement, whether that's Roth IRA or taxable brokerage or uh, swing trades or options or whatever it may be that interests you. But I think that you have to figure out what is realistic for you and your goals and just achieve it some way through investing real estate and as well as you on a nine to five job. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree completely. So I know you have a few questions for our real estate expert here, Aaron Jaffe. Um, do you want to just start off with your first question for him and we'll just kind of go on? Yeah, most definitely. So Jaffe, you recently got your first property. My guy, congratulations. I'm proud of you. You're the first one starting off the journey with real estate and in the group. But I wanted to know, like, what do you need financially, realistically, within real estate to be able to buy not only a good property, but buy the right property that fits the right numbers? Yeah, so um, 
you uh, in the question um, you sent to me, we talked about a little bit conventional financing versus FHA. And by the book for FHA, you need a minimum of three and a half percent down um, for the conventional 15 or 20 percent down. Um, we'll look at this a little more um, in terms of rehab, depending on the property. So I would budget like roughly 10 percent for like a full rehab. Um, it depends on the condition of the property. So how much of a cushion and how risk tolerant you are. So if you have a property that it's going to need a lot of work, you may want to get some contractors to walk through it before you buy it. You know, when you're doing your walkthrough, get an idea of how much it costs roughly, you know, you'll have your bidding process later and get hard numbers, but just get an idea. So, you know, you can have that in the bank as well as uh, your down payments and closing costs and stuff like that. So, you know, you either have your three and a half percent down for your FHA, which is great to use on your first property. Um, and I recommend buying an expensive, not expensive, but with three and a half percent, you can buy a more expensive property because it's less down payment there. And mm -hmm. I think some things that come with a more, and I should be careful saying more expensive property, right? We, we're talking about high quality properties um, and they, some, they tend to be more expensive. So better areas, higher rents uh, if the area can take that because you're going to end up, you know, if you're doing your tenant screening process, right, I think you're more likely to end up with a higher quality tenant. So when I, as I continue to grow and expand, um, I'm going to be looking for areas with high quality tenants, you know, people with good jobs, families, just good overall people like we were talking about the other night. Um, I think the second part of this was, what do you need in terms of um, credit? So obviously having some credit is going to be super helpful when you're going to a bank or a more conventional lending. Um, so I just grabbed some pretty simple information. If your credit score is 580 to 670, it's considered fair. Um, and you'll probably get financing, but you might not get the most favorable terms. 670 to 740 roughly is considered good. That's that's a common range. You'll have no problem getting financing there. And then anything above that is extremely good. And at that point, you know, you can really kind of push on your lenders to give you better rates. Uh, one mm -hmm. thing we talked about in our last interview was the rule of three. So when you're shopping for your realtor, your financer, whatever you're doing, uh, especially lenders, like lenders, a lot of times will tell you that, you know, you start talking to them and, and all of a sudden, before you've actually signed anything, you feel like you're in business with them and they give you a rate and it feels like that's just what it is. Well, it's not, it's, you know, call three people who are offering, who do lending and mortgages, see who's got the best rate. And then if you have somebody that you like more, that feels like they're going to work with you more, maybe more knowledgeable, but someone's giving you a better rate. Just call them up and say, hey, I was talking to X, Y, and Z, and they're offering me this. Can you give me a more competitive rate? Can you match that? And most of the time they will. Even if you just even if you just call them and say, I was talking to somebody else and they offered me this rate, you didn't even call anyone. Like just ask them if they can do better. There's a chance they're gonna bump it, bump it down. They have they want your company, they want your they want they want you to invest in them. Cause at the end of the day, they are making money off of you and they want your business. Exactly. So once you're locked in, you're locked in. So in the beginning, um, definitely call, reach out to a couple different people and, and see what they have to offer you. Um, the other thing is too, 
when you're first looking around and you're starting to do exercises on analyzing deals, which is kind of an important part of getting comfortable with uh, figuring out um, ROI, cash on cash return, and like really getting into the hard finances, and you want to know what's the mortgage payment likely to be, your credit, your lender who you're communicating with, when you tell them the property and stuff, one thing to mention is, hey, don't run my credit. And if you're not seriously looking at buying the home or you just need a base number to go off of, most banking apps have your credit score, a rough number, and say, hey, use this as my number. And if we keep moving along, then you can pull my credit. But Mm -hmm. they pull your credit on your credit report. It shows how many times your credit was pulled. Mm -hmm. So, and the reason that this detracts lenders so is they think maybe you just bought another house. That's why your credit's pulled. So you're buying two houses. They don't know what's going on. So too many credit pulls will negatively impact your score. So tell them until you're ready, don't pull my credit, use this. And if they don't do a good job listening, they're probably not the ones for you anyway. Exactly. I think that's such a big, big point. You mentioned um, uh, earlier ROI, just for everyone listening, ROI is rate of uh, investment. Return on investment. And And what would you consider a good return on investment for a rental property in your eyes? Um, While you're paying it off and not paid off, um, I look for anything above, you know, 15%. That's low. That's on the lower side. Anything lower than 15, I wouldn't touch. And then I talk about um, cash on cash, which is a cash on cash return. So that calculation is basically per every dollar that you're putting out, what are, what are you returning? What, what's the return on investment for the money that you actually come out of pocket? So sometimes depending on how the deal is structured, those numbers will look a little bit different. Um, obviously if you're one quick rule actually uh, that my mentor um, told me about is if you're doing a deal and the deal looks worse when you're using other people's money, it's not a good deal. Uh, if, if you're buying it cash and that's the only way it looks better, it should always look better with, uh, you know, financing. So, and if it doesn't look good on paper, it's not going to look good no matter how many ways you twist it and turn it. Like it, it's gotta be simple math. We talked about it in the last one too. It's, mm-hmm. it's exactly. I feel as though that a lot of people shy away from real estate. Cause actually it's, it's hard to lose money in real estate. You don't lose money unless you sell, honestly. And, I feel as though that people get away from real estate just because they do something like that and then they buy a bad deal. They get away from where they started from and they get away from the numbers just because the deal may look nice or may look cool. Realistically, everyone has to have their own own numbers that they follow. Exactly. And And I think a lot of people fall on where people fall into that trap is like um, when they're listening to emotions and they're using optimistic numbers. So they're looking in an area and they see that you know the best house on the block that's brand new construction and that's getting 2500 and then the house they're buying is let's say the house they're looking at is an a minus their house is a c plus and they're using 2500 for their numbers that's where you end up in in, in trouble <laughs> you end up in big trouble with that and something also i want to uh, tie back into that you said earlier is um fha I know, uh, is there a limit on FHA? Because from what I know, there is no limit on FHA. You just have to be able to live in the property for a year at a time. Yeah, in terms of cost, um, I think this is uh, a point to bring up with your lender, but um, 3.5% down 
And then depending on your monthly salary, you'll, they'll pre-qualify you up to a certain amount. So the, your, your salary, your W-2, your tax returns, all the information they ask for, that will determine how much they're, they'll give you a pre-qualified amount up to whatever that is based on what your finances look like. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. And then one last question, at least for uh, this topic financially, uh, I know for your property, you're doing a bird method. And if you could break down the bird method and how you plan on going about this, that would be, that'd be awesome. So I actually, I was planning on doing the bird method, but um, I'm using more of a, it's kind of a hybrid. So I'm using the low down payment, other people's money. Um, and then I'm doing improvements, as you know, and the plan is to refinance once all the improvements are done and then use that to open either a credit line or we're just going to pull the leave 20% in and pull the rest of the value out um, in the refinance, which is going to give me cash to reinvest. The Burr method usually is um, cash purchase with a property that needs renovation, renovate it, you refinance you rent it and then you repeat the method. So what this allows you to do while it's more cash up front, um, you're going to be able to pull capital out of the property at the end and you're going to have that for your next property. So if you have a hundred thousand dollars and you buy a hundred thousand dollar property, you're probably, depending on your renovations and stuff, you'll be able to use that same seed money over and over again. So what you're saying is if I use a, the FHA loan and have a three and a half percent down potentially for I put down $10,000. I can basically recycle that $10,000 over and over and over again throughout the bird method, being able to pull out the equity within the property. Yeah. And go on to the next property. And that actually leads into the next question pretty well. I know you were asking um, kind of when people are looking for their first property, you get a single family, you get a multifamily. Obviously we already talked about kind of house hacking and living in half, living in half, um, renting out the other half. Um, Javi, what do you kind of, what's your opinion on that or someone's just trying to get into it? So <clears throat> this, this relates back to some of the things we talked about. I think a lot of the good investors or the guys who have been doing this for a long time will say they don't have anything that they won't buy. They, they just buy good deals. So whatever their criteria is, like the first thing is establish what criteria you're looking for. Cash on cash return or uh, return on investment. Um, whether it's exit strategy, you're looking to sell these things in 10 years and, you know, gain some equity and then liquidate them and roll that into another property, uh, whatever it is, develop the criteria. And then you can analyze each deal based on your criteria on a deal by deal basis, rather than, you know, saying, oh, I'm not even going to look at this. And then you're kind of limiting yourself. Now, if, if your criteria, like you're saying, is house hacking, well, um, you know, you could do single family or multifamily. I think that it's easier to make cash flow with multifamily. So that's, I, I have some pros and cons written down here. Um, so, and some, some mock numbers. So I, I think multifamily is easier to create a cash flowing property um, and that you can get more money per the square foot. And so the example calculations I have here is a $200,000 property with a 1500 a month, um, monthly mortgage payment, um, just for simple numbers. Um, let's say it rents for $2,000 a month. So you're left with 500, $500 in cash flow monthly. 
and that's going to be six thousand dollars annually right so for a 300 that's a 200k property 350k duplex um two thousand dollar monthly payment so you got 500 more dollars in monthly payment there but two units at fifteen hundred dollars so one with a single family you need your top dollar and the mortgage payments got to be low so cash flow is all about your monthly expenses and monthly income and balance balancing them against each other when you put them together and do the subtraction what's left so and that's where we come in before like though when you're doing those calculations lowball it lowball the shit out of it because the worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to get more for it and that's just going to help your bottom line you know what i mean so so um you know and and the other thing too is you know you're looking at the properties in the area you're looking at the condition so you get an idea of what of what it can bring in in rent but i think you know for the similar amount of square foot, right? You know, let's say, so if we go through this, you got your, the the duplex, right? Versus the other one. Um, it's $2,000 a month in expense, two units at $1,500, which is from a lot of the areas around us, kind of a reasonable rate, depending on the unit. That's three grand a month in income, even though it's a higher $500 more monthly payment, you know, you're bringing in a thousand dollars in cash flow times your twelve months. You end up with twelve thousand dollars annually versus the six thousand dollars annually from the single home. And I think you know, a single home, you got all your different rooms, but it's just harder to bring in. You know, you need top dollar for your rent for the house, and then you need to keep your mortgage payments low. And it's mm-hmm. harder to balance those things. But in terms, I think with um, single family as well. That I personally want to become a multifamily investor. I want people to know me as a duplex, a two to four unit, a duplex, triplex, a quadplex investor. So they know not to even call me for a single family. Yeah. For my realtors, my potential tenants, friends, everyone, like they'll know like Austin only focuses on two to four units. But yeah. I think single families that people don't really utilize the opportunity to increase their income. Like if the square footage for the house is 15,000 square feet, 1,500 square feet, and there's two bedrooms, realistically, you can probably make another bedroom in the property. And you, that's a whole nother bedroom. You can increase the rent that way. Or you, you can turn the office into a bedroom or you can expand the bathroom. I don't think people really think about it that way. I think people are just square minded. But with real estate, you have so many potentials and so many opportunities to be able to increase the value of the property. So, so some of the pros I have here, right? So for the multifamily, I'd say usually higher profit per square foot. Um, and the other, another pro to the multifamily is if one unit goes vacant, all your income's not gone. So, for example, in the property that we're doing and I'm rehabbing, right, I have my monthly payment, but I got a tenant upstairs. So the bottom unit's getting worked on. It's vacant. It's costing me money, but I still have income coming in to help offset. So even though I have holding costs, expenses, and if you're doing rehab, you got to take holding costs into account. The, you know, especially when your tenant moves out or whatever, you have some offset, which is nice, um, which is part of the hedging risk. The cons of the multifamily it's harder to find deals because they're more sought after. There's higher demand. Usually they have a higher purchase price. And then you have more soft costs. So you got two kitchens. You got two bathrooms. You got two of everything that can break and needs to be replaced. You got two of. So that's just something to think about. For the single family, you know, you got your pros. Single families, easier to find deals. There's more single family homes. And like you were talking about, you can find the value in a single family home. Like it's that mortgage payment to income. 
So if you find the single family home that you can add a bedroom and raise income and the cost is going to remain the same and you can, I can squeeze it and it fits my financial criteria, boom, like you're, you're good there. That's, that's a great, that's a great thing to find. Um, they're easier to burn because at the cheaper purchase price, right? You find a single family home, row home or something, say 150 grand. If you can spend a couple of years or your building portfolio, you got your uh, passive cash flow from some of the multis, all of a sudden you got around 100 grand, 150 grand. You can buy those properties cash, do your renovations, boom, and then you're pulling out, leaving 20% in. You don't have a mortgage insurance payment or anything like that. And you have that same chunk that you had to go do the next one. So when we were doing this exercise of the multifamily that's bringing in $1,000 per month versus 500, it may take you six months or a year to find multifamily. Well, if you've got the cash and you've gotten it down good and you can do two or three deals in the time of single family. So if you, if you buy two in the time it takes you to do one, you're making the same money. If you can buy three in the time it takes you to buy two, you're making more money on single family. So I think, you know, I like multifamily. I'm going to try to find good multifamily deals. I might even build multifamily because again, the, the another pro and con, you got to drive or have a property management place, take care of these properties. If you're managing them, you got single family over in North Philly and another one in South Philly. Every time something breaks, you got to drive North South Philly as if you got multifamily, the units are in one spot. So it's your, your income is all in one place when things need to be fixed and, it's just systems you set up that can apply for the whole house, which exactly, exactly. Yeah. What people also don't realize is that with multifamilies, like like you said, yeah, you have two bathrooms, you have two kitchens, and all those expenses. But you factor that in, but you only have one roof. You still only have one lawn. Mm-hmm. You only have one door, maybe two. You know what I mean? Like there's there's so many more potential opportunities, and the cost and ratios that they really even out, and you end up being able to make more money. Because like you were saying, if your top like your top floor is running, running out right now, your bottom floor is not. And I guarantee you, you're still paying less per month than what you would pay for it to run out of regular place by yourself. That's yeah. that's absolutely true. Exactly. And that actually, I know, Jeff, you mentioned the distance to say, like, if you have a single family in North Philly, another one in South Philly, that's another, it kind of leads into the next question that you were interested about is how do you decide the area? Because obviously once you focus in on area, you probably want to try to get as many in that area and become an expert, right? Mm -hmm. So um, some of the notes I jotted down for this one, um, you know, just it's, it fits in with the criteria. So what's going on in the area? What are the, um, after repair values in that area, uh, what's the market like there? What's going on? Is, is it growing? Is it developing or is it already developed? So what, what I like to do for, you know, the appreciation of the house. So the, the value increasing over time, I personally like to look for areas that are a mix of, let's say a C rate property with new construction and B's and A's mixed in. But I love to look for blocks. Like if I can buy a block that's C plus, but there's one or two new construction properties going on, like that's a block I want to buy in. If you're seeing new- Explain the C plus, the B minus and everything for those people who don't understand what that means. You know, I don't have a clear criteria. I think um, there's probably resources on, you know, what that means in terms of rents and stuff. But I just think of it as like um, a C plus- is your basic, basic type apartment 
where you have carpet, you have um, no no fancy amenities or no tile. It's drywall, carpet, you know, from mica countertops and new appliances, but they're standard. They're nothing special, not stainless, just white enamel. Everything's just basic and clean. You know, then your B's are like, you're getting into the a little bit nicer, a hybrid of things. So you have, you know, you see some places that are just clean flooring. You might have some molding, a little bit nicer appliances. Maybe they do a tile backsplash. And then your A pluses are like, you know, you're more tiles. And, you know, the rents correspond with them, um, as well as the quality of tenant, the area, you know, all those things to me factor in when I'm thinking about it. And I kind of have my own criteria for what I rate things. Um, but I love to like, I, I'm going to try to invest in areas that are bordered on one end by not so nice, you know, your C's, maybe even mm-hmm. your D's, and the other sandwich between new construction, maybe A, A minus, B plus. And then in the middle where the, where it goes from B's and C's and A's mixed in before you get to the C's and D's, I'm going to try to get to the side in the middle. I'll be in the middle, but closer to the, the A's and D's. Because then you can increase your rent, increase your cash on uh, return, and, and then you're making more profit to be able to put down to the next property. And it's like, that's a good sign that, you know, the area is developing, um, you know, talking to people, walking around the areas to get a feel of that. Um, and something, that, that, something that I personally, because I have uh, a checklist as well, something that I want to make sure that everyone listening knows as well is when you invest in an area, when you buy a property in an area, make sure that it has a diverse workplace and population because you don't want to invest in an area where it's just one industry. Mm-hmm. And just in case that industry folds, that means you may not have tenants in the future. You want to be able to have an, a good income, a increasing population growth, diverse work uh, workforce, and you can kind of save yourself and you have kind of have an out just in case one tenant leaves, you know that there's going to be still job growth within the market. That's a good point. So if you're buying in an area where like, you know, uh, it, let's say this is an older example, but like back in the day when there's more like factories and ironwork and, you know, mills and stuff like that, I probably wouldn't want to be in a town like that because if the mill goes down or new technology emerges and everyone goes out of business, guess what? They ain't paying the rent. Um, a couple other things I have here, public transportation. Any areas around public transportation, especially if you're like in an urban setting, huge. Um, even if you're in the suburbs and you own it, but you have a station right next door that's going to take you into the city or a hub where people are working, huge. Um, parks, schools, especially if you have, let's say you end up with a single family or a twin house, something with a yard that, you know, in the layout is more suited, let's say a three bedroom, two bath even a four bedroom or a three bedroom with an office and two bath, something that a family is going to want, you know, mm-hmm. being schools is huge. Another I'm one school district. a lot of people don't think about that. I know my mentor does is get some by hospitals because radiation, people like radiation doctors. therapists, nurses, doctors and nurses, they move around a lot, mm-hmm. but people like people that don't think about it, like hospital administrators, you only, they only stand, they stay in that job for 30 plus years. You get someone making six figures being a hospital administrator, like, you can charge them that same rent there for over 30 years. That's a good tenant. You, know what I mean? you can guarantee they pay the, their rent as, as well if they, as well if the family has a kid. Because let's be honest, every family wants to get to go to the best school district. 
Yeah. So if you can buy a house in the area that's a top 10 to top 15 school district within the state that you're buying, you can almost guarantee that a family will at least look at that property. All right, Hayden. So I did some special homework for you. Are you All right? I got yeah. some I got some real hard data, some, some like a what I call an action item that you can actually do. So when you're when you're looking at markets, right? You got your three realtors cuz we got three of everything to see who's legit and who's the, who's mm-hmm. the man or woman. Um, so you're going to the some of the criteria is the population 100,000 or greater in that area. Anything less than 100,000, I would stay away from. Um, areas with low inventory Low, it's kind of counterintuitive, but low inventory is going to be higher demand. So areas that are low inventory, some people you talk to and say, oh, you can't find deals. The market's saturated. Those people just aren't looking. There's deals everywhere. And the low inventory means that if you get good at finding them and figure out how to find them or build them, your stuff's going to sell like hotcakes. So some, some questions to ask your realtor. How many single family homes are currently active on the market? That's number one. So we're going to see how many homes are for sale. How many single, number two, how many single family homes sold within the last 30 days on the entire MLS? So we're going to see how many homes there are and how many have sold. Together with these, that's going to help us find our rate of sale, basically. And then what the third question is, what was the average days on market for the homes sold? So those are the three questions that go to the realtor. And the good part about saying it to three, if you, if they don't match up and one of them stands out, you can ask him what he did to run his search and you get an idea if they're correct or not. So then what we do with those, you take the months of available, to get the months of available inventory, you're going to take the active listing. So question one, which is how many are currently listed actively, and you're going to divide it by the number of sales. That's going to give you the months of available inventory. And what that means is if no more houses came up for sale, it would take whatever that number is. So for example, I have 7,500 active listings divided by 2,500 sales is going to give you three. That's three months of inventory. If nothing else were to come up for market, it would take three months for all the houses there to be sold. So how do you evaluate the number that you get back from your realtor? Less than four months is considered hot. And that's like less than four months is, is money. So Philly, I haven't got this data in a while, but like my guess is Philly is less than four months, especially the current climate of houses. Things the seller's market. Fast. So, you know, that's, that's what you want to look for. Four to six months is considered stable. You know, that's going to give the buyer a little more room to look around, a little more competition. They might haggle with you. Etc. Right now, people are offering above purchase, doing anything they can to close quick because houses are flying. It's that less than four months, six months or more, stay away from. So, you know, in areas that are a little or maybe developing or maybe not as hot, you you know, when you do a few of these in some hot areas and you're trying to branch off into new areas or maybe you want to do out of state investing. These are questions to ask to figure out Oh, I found. And maybe you find tap into a place that. You know, it was hot and not a lot of other people. It doesn't have hype around it. You know, this is a good way to develop that criteria. Then for the days on market, 60 days or fewer, great. 60 to 90, again, that's your stable range. 90 plus, stay away. And because, you know, as you know, 
the longer you're holding a property, you got holding costs, you got taxes, you got your mortgage payment. You know, this stuff is, is it costs yeah, more. Time is money yeah, in, this, in this in this industry. No, I really, I really like that. And something that you said as well earlier was um, people can't find deals. Realistically, if you want a deal, you can find a deal. Because I spent a couple of days the past few weeks just driving for doors in Voorhees, New Jersey by me to see which houses are for sale and like what's the average cost of houses. And if I see a, a tendency in certain neighborhoods, so like if you really want it, you can find a property. And people just look on the MLP. People don't look at them unless you need a realtor for that. People look on Redfin or uh, Zillow and say, "Oh, I can't, find, I couldn't find anything. It's over." Like hey. me and Jaffe spoke. To, yeah, I gave up. Me and Jaffe spoke the other week about writing letters to landlords and asking if we can buy the properties. If you write a thousand letters, I guarantee you get one response. Dude, you know what I wanted to do? Um, COVID's a little tough, but eventually in Philly, like I want to find one of those used car lots that's not really selling a ton of cars, like and see if we could pay the owner to rent it for a day, set up a table, some loud, good music, and some free food or cookies or something, and just have it be like, hey, if you know anyone selling a house, we're offering $500 cash for any deal that goes through. Write your info, you know, send us their info. If you call them, get in touch with us, you know, and just see if we can generate some leads through like out of the box thinking. Exactly, and then you can just build connections with that as well. And they can eventually present potentially turn into a real estate meetup. Exactly. Once you have those connections, you have those connections for life. And then you, you find out about deals that people aren't looking for. Right. And if you find a good way and, you know, hope like I'm planning, Haynes and I are actually planning on doing this together, um, trying this out. Cause I want to see if we can find some cash deals for mm-hmm. the and figure out how to do this well and repeat it. Exactly. Cause something that we need is, because realistically, real estate is all systems. And if you can figure out the right process to go through, you can literally make yourself a checklist just to go through every single time. Like, all right, it hits the checklist, I can buy it. If it doesn't, move it out the way and look at the next property. Like we was talking about before, criteria. Like, Yep. And if it's a system, we can train people and then they can do it for us. <laughs> they do it for us, bro. And realistically, bro, time is money. And then if we spend less of our time looking for properties rather than closing them, we get more properties. Exactly. And it just comes with comfort as well. And that's like you mentioned earlier, it's who you know, and that you have conversations like this or with people in the neighborhood, you feel more comfortable, you're easier to pull the trigger. And that it's kind mm-hmm. of, totally, I know you Haynes, you had a question about how do you find a mentor that kind of be able to instill that confidence in you and kind of get you on the right path. Um, and I know Jaffe had a few in his life. Um, I think I'll let you share. Yeah. So how a mentor helps you and why it's important and why I would recommend finding someone who can be at least a little bit of a mentor before getting in or a few mentors at all different skill levels. Um, it just, the, the hardest part about getting started is all the unknowns and the unknowns, depending on what they are, carry risk and risk carries, you know, the, the opportunity to lose money. So having a mentor to basically, cancel a lot of the unknowns aren't hard unknowns it's just like the simple fact of how do i get financing you don't know if you don't know you don't know what you don't know you, you don't know, the, the first step you, you know you you can ask somebody who's done it before find them um there's facebook groups biggerpockets.com i know you listen to the bigger pockets podcast is great biggerpockets.com has forums and there's people on there this community is great because it's just people 
trying to help other people get into it. Um, so I would say, you know, solving some of those un unknowns, especially depending on the skill level of the person, when you come, you know, contractors, dealing with contractors, construction, um, all that stuff is super helpful. And it kind of eases that anxiety. I think a lot of people hit a wall when they're like, time to pull the trigger, time to take action. And then they get there, you know, getting over that wall, having somebody that you can review your numbers with, mm -hmm. they can give you that little extra, a lot of times it's just confidence. Talking out loud with somebody and they're, you know, they either say, oh, I think you need to rethink that or yeah, that looks good. I would pursue that, you know, just have exactly. there. Like as I mentioned earlier, like I got my parents are both uh, realtors and then my uncle also owns a good, a decent amount of properties on Temple's campus. And my least goal is to have them look at all my numbers before I go into a deal. So I automatically have three to four sets of eyes on every single deal. So just in case I may skip over saying the mentor can help as well, because one of my mentors, my uncle told me that you can put in two offers on a deal. So say like the realtor is talking to you. I love this. I love this. You told me this is the first time I heard about this. I love yeah. it. Like you can put in two offers on a deal. So you basically put an offer and say the property, the guy's asking for property $150,000. You offer him $150,000, but with all the inside outs that you want within the property. So you don't have to deal with anything that you don't want to deal with. And then you offer them something that's twenty to $30,000 less than the asking price. So let's say $130,000, $120,000 with everything he wants in the property, all the incentives and everything. Which deal do you think he's going to take? He's going to take the $150,000 one. He doesn't even have to know that it's too offered. Oh, I got two deals on the table, like which one are going to choose? You're going to choose the one with the most money and you get to be able to help yourself out in a day. So I think people, people just look around and figure out like what's the best for them. As long as you figure out the game of real estate, you have a mentor. I think that's huge. Like I, exactly. Like for, for example, like again, to you, Curtis, you want to get in real estate. Jack, you're already in real estate and I'm going to get into it as well. But that doesn't mean to say like, you guys have to keep your mentors and mentors information from me. Exactly. It's all about connections. You guys can tell me what your mentors tell you and I can tell you what my mentor tells me. And then we can all share and then we can be perfectly fine and go down this the right route. Like It's that learning curve. Cause once you do it a bunch of times, you get good at it. Like practice, you know, makes perfect. It's that old adage, you know, that learning curve, getting over the hump. And I'm, I'm in it right now. Like I'm dealing with more expenses and rehab than I had originally budgeted all these different problems I hadn't even thought about, but with the mentor being able to run stuff by him and him give me pointers, even directions to look for, um, I think really this game is a lot about path forward in construction. We talk a lot about path forward. You know, it's the next action item, the next thing that you can actually do. And half the battle is figuring out what the next most important task is Whether <coughs> in the beginning, you know, calling a lender, <laughs> calling your realtor <laughs> or whatever, just picking up the phone and making, you know, doing a phone call. Um, you know, they're all, it's, it's that path forward. And so the, the mentor is really going to cut down on that learning curve and us talking, doing stuff like this is going to cut down on it too. Exactly. Exactly. So I just think that everyone listening should find a mentor. Realistically, everyone knows someone who is older than them that got involved within real estate. Just ask them, sit down and say, can you let me know how you went about it? And if you I'm don't, this is a real estate to help you. I, um, I'm trying to figure out what I need to do with permits right now. And so on the Facebook group, it's Philadelphia real estate masterminds or something like that, whatever area you're in, we'll have, there's a million groups on Facebook. 
this guy's posting about he's looking for a contractor to build like four row homes, you know, big construction project. So I literally messaged him and was like, Hey, do you have a minute? I'm doing something. And I have some questions about permits. I, it looks like you might have some experience. Um, would you mind hopping on the phone with me? Just we'll keep it brief. Let me know what time's convenient. I spent like an hour on the phone with him on the way home from work the other night. And it turns out he's an architect uh, by trade. He does, he's building new construction, uh, big, you know, development projects in the area. And he had a ton of great information just by putting one message. It was free. It didn't do anything. All I said, all I needed to do was say, thank you. I appreciate your time and reach out and, you know, people mm -hmm. like that. And then one step further following up, I told him, you got anything you're working on? Let me know. I'll come walk it with you. Anything I can pick up. And I told him, you know, any projects I can use you on for architecture. Now I know architect literally just from one Facebook message. It didn't take much. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's a lesson you can have for life because you mentioned earlier that potentially even building a multifamily. Mm -hmm. You can definitely reach out to, or if not, he knows somebody who can help you with that. So this is for anyone listening who's like, my uncle isn't in real estate. My dad's not in real estate. I don't know anyone in real estate. Hop on Facebook, hop on Bigger Pockets. There's resources out there. At the end of the day, in this game, this business, there's no excuses. There's always an answer. Even if the answer is to pivot and do something a little bit different, that may be off the, your original path. There's always a path forward. There's always somebody to reach out. Just got to be creative and go for it. Exactly. I love that you said that. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's a great note to end on too. But Haynes, we wanted to ask you, in your opinion, say, aside from obviously bigger pockets and talking with us, if you didn't have the information that you knew right now, what would be one action step that you would do, say, tomorrow to either educate yourself or look into something in regards to real estate? So I'll start off with saying what I do now. So every morning when I wake up, I listen to a Bigger Pockets podcast. And Bigger Pockets is a real estate podcast. So I listen to at least one podcast every single morning. But if I did not have that on my family, I would say read. I read, I try to read almost every single day. So I read, right now I'm trying to read two books a month, a book every two weeks. And realistically, if you're able to do that, you can get the information. Because when you read, you go, you basically are reading someone else's thoughts and someone else's process and the way to go about things. And if you want to be, get into real estate, read only real estate books. If you want to get better with finances, read only finance books. You're eventually going to be able to pick up on the lingo and you're eventually going to be able to pick up on everything else. And then that'll help you figure out what to type in Google, figure out what the research and the questions to ask. But you have to be able to increase your, your knowledge on the situation before you go talk to somebody. But if you don't know anything, they're not going to help you. You're going to have to be able to bring them some wisdom and some some effort as well. And then you're more than likely going to be able to back to the mentor topic. Once you know what you're talking about, that's going to help you tenfold if you have the information. You don't know what you don't know. So a great point. When you have your mentor, don't just ask them, oh, what do I do for real estate? Read up a little bit about it and come with specific questions. Because if you come with specific questions, they can answer them. And they're not going to, they're not going to want to waste time just talking about something general, but come with specific questions and you show that you've been doing your research, do your work, get stuck, and then go to them when you need to get unstuck. They'll help you get unstuck and you can keep moving. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, like you mentioned, like you're going to start with one book, go two books a week. A lot of times it's not like it's a broad base of information. A lot of it, you're going to see repeating information. So when you read one book, you read the next book, you're going to be like, oh, I remember this word. I remember this method. I don't fully understand it. This seems important. Let me ask someone. 
it's not like you have to memorize word for word each book. Like a lot of people, when they say they read a book, like I don't remember half the stuff. Well, you remember three points and odds are it's probably the most three points and that reoccurs in each book that you see. So you know that that's the point that you want to get across to your mentor or someone when you're asking questions. Exactly. Exactly. I think everyone should should get into real estate and just get into reading in general. So I think real estate is, like I said earlier, the key to financial independence. But I think that people need to start reading. And for a book that I would suggest, at least to everyone, is Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It'll change your thinking on finances. It'll change your thinking on real estate and everything along that aspect. And then another book I would suggest is Who Not How. I know myself and Jaffe spoke about that uh, the other week. But it, that book talks about not how am I going to do something who is going to be able to help me out to do this. And once you are able to do that, it opens up your thinking. And it's not saying that you're the only person who has who. You're also going to be someone else's who. So it teaches you how to be a who. And it teaches you how to find other who's. And then once you start thinking like that, you know, you realize you don't have to do everything on your own. You can ask for help and then and help you down the avenue. But definitely people need to increase the knowledge and read, read, read. Like you, you worded it perfectly, Curtis. Like you're not going to remember something reading at one time. You're going to pick up on the information. You're going to be able to keep going. And then you're eventually going to know what you're talking about. Yep, exactly. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I know I really enjoyed having you, Haynes. And I feel like I benefited from a lot, obviously. Just hearing what you and Jaffe have to say. But is there anything else that... NCAA defensive yeah. <laughs> player of the, the what? Month, year, all time? Yeah, I, I have a couple of records, but um, maybe. Oh my goodness. Maybe we'll see. We'll see. Hopefully, maybe it's in the cards. But right now, man, like I just want financial freedom so I can help generations, and I want to be able to help help not only myself do it, but I want to help my friends do it. I want to help their families do it because it is achievable when it's possible. And if I have to be the first in my group to do it, I'll do it. But obviously, I'm not because Jack be the first one with the property, bro. Congratulations, like. I'm proud of you, bro. Like, I just want to thank you guys for having me on tonight. And uh, hopefully you guys have me back on when I get my first prop and I can explain the process to everybody. Absolutely. I've seen you run on the field, dude, super fast. So I have no doubt that uh, you're going to be attacking this with full force and get this going quickly, too. <laughs>